Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Deep left into the bleachers, a two-run homer. A swing and a miss, ball game. Lift off. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch! Ball game! The Indians have won the American League pennant! The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series! Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, how is it going? We're into that first homestand now. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, shout out to Marla for covering Wednesday's game. Dealing with a bit of a physical ailment, some carpal tunnel, so we are trying to figure that out. Um, but shout out to her. She's a rock star, so... Early in the season, it's we're all still trying to figure some things out. So, yeah, it's yeah. going great. Yeah. I was going to say, Marla's pretty much the GOAT at this point, right? Would anyone argue that Marla is the greatest of all time? Would anyone argue against that? I don't think so. So personal. So <laughs> all right. So let's let's really quickly get into a quick recap since the last time we recorded last week of what Cleveland has done. So after opening day, they fell five to two to the Tigers before picking up the first win of the year in the series finale uh, with Detroit with that nine to three victory where every starter scored a run in that game. Um, Jordan Luplo, Fran Mil Reyes and Austin Hedges all hit home runs in that one. Um, as we all know by now, the Bats didn't make it back from Detroit in time for the home opener on Monday as Cleveland fell 3 to nothing to Kansas City. Jose Ramirez got his revenge on Wednesday, though, hitting two home runs, accounting for all four of Cleveland's runs in that 4-2 to two win. So uh, kind of a broad point to start with, I guess. And I'm curious for your perspective as, you know, somebody who also covered the team last year as well with fans back at Progressive. Um, I guess just what was that like and, you know, to finally get some of that energy back there? Oh, it's great. Um, it's a tremendously – it was a tremendously missed part of the game. Um, it's it's really great that fans can safely be back at the ballpark. Um, it's totally a needed element of all of it, the community element of it, the, the home field advantage element of, of it. It's just such a, a great thing to have back. The ceremonies before the game was great. I mean, even little things like Carlos Santana getting a, a nice little standing ovation, uh, coming back to Cleveland as a member of the Royals. Those things are just great to see. It was really needed. You know, last year it was just kind of almost eerie in that you can, you can, you could hear everything, um, which was in some instances kind of fun and, um, kind of led to some, some different situations. Having the fans back is just tremendous. Um, it, it was really great to see. Hopefully everyone is remaining safe and following the pro- pro- protocols to allow this to you know, continue to happen. And 
you know, the, the 30% capacity at Progressive Field is, is through the month of April. They may be able to, um, they might be able to, uh, increase that, um, and kind of go as a month by month basis sort of a thing. So hopefully, um, you know, more and more people can safely come into the ballpark, but that was great. It was, it was really nice to see. And then it, it ended up being a game where the home crowd had very little to get excited about. Um, so that took excitement out of it a little bit. But it was it was really nice to see, um, and it's it's great to have fans back. It was it was great. Let's kind of you know you alluded to the obviously the bats not going. It's not much excitement there, especially in that first game. But you know you and I talked offline about this idea of the sample sizes when it comes to the odd offense and hard contact and process versus results. So let's dive into that. You know they are making hard contact in some instances, and I know you wrote about in that five two loss to the Tigers. You know, in the fourth inning, for example, Bowers hits a ball 110.1 miles per hour. It traveled 351 feet, but it was a fly out. And then, you know, the first inning, Hernandez tops that. He tries to pitch 406 feet, 106.4 miles per hour off the bat for a 980 expected average. But obviously nothing happens with that. So just explain kind of what the what their mentality is around some of these hard contact hits that they're they're making and they aren't actually being recorded as hits though yeah i think when you are in a situation like that you look at it as it's so frustrating but also if you hit a ball 406 feet and 106 off the bat like at a certain point like that's really all you can do so when you have a stretch like the team did especially in the first four games this was touched on on saturday and on monday it's okay to look at things, especially a small sample. It's a four-game sample. It's okay to look at things in multiple contexts time because this isn't an exact science. Um, so you can look at it as Cleveland got off to a, a slower start to begin the season. If you're framing it as a season-long thing, if you're framing it as them having to keep up with Chicago, keep up with with Minnesota, and also that the offense on paper does have some significant and legitimate question marks, both as a lineup as a whole um, and, and certain parts, which we talked about last week. You know, it's okay to look at it as, all right, here, there are some question marks. They're off to a slow start um, and, and things like that. But you can also look at it as the hard contact has been there. And in general, those things tend to regress to the norm. And those things tend to even out over a, a larger sample size. Plus, four games is just not enough to really draw any conclusions to. Um so, you know, from those perspectives, you, you can look at it in, in, in multiple lights and have a – it's not great that they didn't, uh, you know, get off to the start that they wanted, but it's also a really small sample size, and they've been making the hard contact. And it just adds context. And, you know, if you were if you were looking to try to predict future performance and hitter A goes 0 for 4, but he hits four balls, 110 off the bat, and they, and they all just happen to be caught – and hitter B goes four for four, but, you know, with four weekly hit bloop singles, you may take hitter A because he's making the hard contact. Those things just tend to, to, to even out. And, and, you know, from their perspective, if, if the hard contact is there, if the process is there, they will normally be able to trust that over the results, especially in such a small sample size. So while there are legitimate question marks and while there are some, some things that will need to be answered as the season goes on, the hard contact was there, especially in Saturday and Monday's losses. And, you know, and, and as Tito pointed out, in Monday's loss for, in the home opener, if that ball gets by Carlos, it's a great play in the ninth. If that ball gets by him, 
one run, possibly two score, and the tying run is probably in scoring position with nobody out. So it's it's those things that while there's still frustration in the clubhouse for sure when those things do happen, in terms of do they make this decision or this move at this point, things like that, adding that context, it doesn't mean it's black and white or you know, it doesn't mean that there isn't nuance. There's always nuance in these situations and it just adds context to what's been happening and with a small sample size like this, it's just not yet time. And as long as that hard contact is there, it at least gives them kind of something to hang their hat on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think a lot, you know, from my perspective, I think last year and this off season really has kind of played a factor in maybe some of these early negative feelings. Like, you look at last season, it was hard to get anything consistently going offensively, especially, you know, really needing an extra outfield bat, it seemed like, and then obviously losing Francisco Lindor, I think, just, left a lot of bad tastes in people's mouth, quite honestly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of my my perspective on it, but totally agree what you're saying, obviously, in a 162-game season for five games. It's kind of hard to draw any sweeping conclusions after. Yeah, and, I mean, of course there are some legitimate question marks uh, in terms of how this offense will kind of pan out center field and for space, as, as we mentioned, are, are still the question marks. It's just that this early, especially with one game essentially being in a, in a snowstorm, you know, you can almost throw a part of that out. You know, if, if the hard contact is there, it does not mean that everything is fine for sure, but it does mean that there is some extra contacts and some nuance to the situation. And, um, you know, it, it, it tends to be the right call most of the time to look at things as, as a layered situation and you, you try to kind of sift through the nuance rather than make a, a sweeping declaration like that. So that's that's all, and that's just kind of what they're going to hang their hat on, at least for a while. Um, you know, we, we talked about how long Jake Bowers might have, for example. Those timing elements are never never an exact science, and that's something that they're just going to have to figure out. Well, let's, let's move to something more positive, that 4-2 win. Uh, from Wednesday, and I just love this quote from Terry Francona. This just in, Hosey's pretty good. So, you know, I'm curious, and I know Marla wrote about it, this this idea that he doesn't feel extra pressure. I mean, I just think that's interesting considering you lose Santana, you lose Lindor, um, these guys who, you know, for large parts of recent seasons, you would be able to count on to get you a hit, that it wasn't just Jose that you needed, but you kind of had all three of them. So, I mean, I'm personally curious to see how, how this goes on, if, if that pressure does start to add up eventually or, um, you know, but kind of what, what do you think about that and what his mentality is so far early in the season here? He's his own guy. Uh, uh, Jose is, is his own person, and I think the team really appreciates, appreciates that in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, Tito said it in spring camp that they're not really worried about him putting too much pressure on himself because he goes out and he's really his his same guy really no matter what and you know he's got three top three finishes and MVP voting in the last four years he's going to try to get his first win this season it's not something that the team's been overly concerned with and I th- I do think that having uh, Fran Moraes hitting two spots behind him normally adding Eddie Rosario Eddie Rosario was a big deal. Having those guys behind him does alleviate some of that pressure where um, some of the question marks with this lineup is more about the length of the lineup and, and the bottom rather than, you know, Jose having to feel like, uh, you know, he has to do it, everything himself. Yeah, they're not really worried about that. He's always going to be strutting to the plate like he does, no matter if he's if he's struggling or not. Um, he's kind of been the same guy. He had that extended slump that covered, I don't know, like three-fourths of a season 
at the, the, the end of one season and about half of another, maybe even a little less than that before he's able to break out of it. Except for that, you know, stretch, he's been pretty consistent. He's often been among one of the better hitters in baseball. He's just his own guy. Um, you know, he's throwing stuff across the room at the pitchers, messing with them in the clubhouse, you know, playing Mario Kart at times, starting to play. Like, he's always his own guy. There's just not something they're worried about. So I think at this point when Tito says Jose is pretty good, it's just because, like, there's not that much left for him to say, you know, on Jose's yeah. behalf and that he's, he's done what he's done. Yeah, too too bad Jose can't just, like, trademark a walk. You know, the, the way he walks is the first thing I think of when I think of him, quite honestly. There would be some money to be made there if it was uh, possible to trademark, literally, just the way he walks to the plate. But, you know, kind of transitioning to the home opener here earlier this week. Number one, follow-up from last week, did Logan Allen ever divulge what kind of donuts he gave up in order to lose 35 pounds? But then I also kind of want to talk about this idea, and again, you wrote about this. He mentioned he felt like last season he needed more baseball, and I think maybe some fans would think, oh, you know, only having the 60-game season would be a break on pitchers' arms, all that stuff, but why, why was that actually an issue for him and, you know, maybe some other guys on the team and around the league? Yeah, for a lot of guys, last season's schedule just did not offer them, uh, you know, the ability to really get into a rhythm. You know, they had part of spring training, then the league gets shut down. Then they have a few weeks of summer camp and then a, a truncated, odd setup for a season where a lot of guys, you're either in the majors or you're at the alternate site or you weren't there at all. And the alternate site allowed guys to kind of stay ready if needed, and it allowed some, some of the prospects to get, uh, you know, some work in. But a, a sim game in East Lake is just never going to be able to replicate um, a larger sample size and re- regular at bats or regular innings, you know, at AAA or AA. So for Logan Allen, he only got a few appearances in the majors. They weren't really in a row, so there's a lot of you know come up. Throw, throw a few innings, and then you know he he just didn't pitch in major league games enough. And he felt in his last outing in late September against Pittsburgh, he felt like things finally clicked. Like it it, it, it took all that time as as he's made adjustments and as as he tried to get into more of a groove, you know, with this schedule. It took all that time, and it was in that outing that it kind of clicked for him. And so he didn't want to. He didn't want to stop pitching after Cleveland got knocked out by New York. He didn't want to stop. So he, you know, he, he has to do some things. Couldn't right away. Um, but basically he was trying to pitch after the season, through the off season, through the spring, as much as he could to kind of keep this going. And that was on top of dropping the weight. That was on top of really diving into analytics and seeing what things, you know, um, you know, he should change or, or could adjust. And so he really kind of dove into some things to try to, um, you know, elevate his game and really, and really, um, you know, jumpstart, you know, his, his career and, and what he wants to do and where he wants to be, which is in the rotation. And he did it and he, he effectively forced his, his spot into the rotation. He had a tremendous spring. He had a mostly positive outing as well. Um, you know, he's, he's changed a lot. The, the real answer is the most important thing is I don't, or if he divulged what kind of donut he always had. I can't imagine if you if you eat like two donuts a day, there has to be a favorite kind. And I just like I want to know what it was so badly. I mean, we did just find out uh, Krispy Kreme has an Oreo donut that they just came out with. So I will not be 
cutting out donuts anytime soon. We're going to have to try that. Logan um, is probably questioning his choices to cut out donuts now. With that. Uh-huh. But he's, he's done everything that he can to kind of accelerate, you know, where the team, you know, for a long time thought he was. Because when he was acquired, you know, Tito mentioned that, uh, especially with his lower half, they felt like there were some things they could do with his lower half. Um, to try to get him in, in, into a better position with his delivery. And, you know, they saw that potential in there. And so now they're going to get a chance to see if those changes and the changes that he more recently went under, if those things can kind of, you know, combine to, to get him to where, to where he needs to be. But he had a mostly positive outing, you know, and, and he seemed to settle down as it went on. And, you know, he's, he's another young pitcher that if, if Cleveland can hit on, you know, that's, that's just another boon to that pitching staff that they, that they can add. Yeah, and sticking with that that same game there, let's talk about Tristan McKenzie here because this is a guy who really interests me. I mean, when I think about last season, he was definitely, I think, a bright spot as far as watching them and seeing like, okay, this could be a guy that could do something in the future. So Cleveland won't need a fifth starter until roughly April 13th, like you wrote. He piggybacked off of Logan Allen's five-inning start there in the home opener. He threw three and two-thirds innings. He allowed only two hits, but walked four. He struck out five. So where do you see his role going? And, you know, I'm especially curious with the possibility of him facing a full season workload because his velocity dropping last year was kind of the maybe the biggest issue with him, right? Yeah, and that's that's really one of the, the major things to watch, you know, this season because he has he has such great raw stuff um, and he had such such a great debut last season. He had, he had, he had several really quality starts. Um, you know, he has so many of, of the elements. It's, it's just the big question is, is how will he respond to a full workload over a full 162-game season? So early on, uh, you know, the team can't have him kind of piggyback off of Logan Allen. They can have him be on a semi-regular schedule without, you know, really having him dive into the into more of a five-man rotation with with the off days that the team is afforded. I'm sure they don't mind kind of slowly – Implementing him in, in, into the season like this, I'm sure it's a situation that they may have been looking to do anyway. But yeah, he did deal with a, a velocity drop last season. One important factor is that he, he hadn't really pitched in a competitive game in a long time and then was kind of thrown into the majors. So again, last season was just so weird in so many different ways that, um, you know, teams just kind of have to wait and see how things pan out going into 2021. But that's kind of one of the main things to watch is that based on talent, like he's absolutely got a spot in the rotation. He has a very high ceiling it just in terms of durability and his velocity and how he handles that workload. And if he can if he can remain healthy, um, that's just it, it's it's a question mark that's kind of followed him. And, you know, I'm sure he'd love to just have it answered after this season and, and kind of get that behind him. But for now, yeah, that's that's one of the things that, you know, Cleveland will look to do is to at least kind of manage his workload where they can. And, and right now, it, you know, the, the schedule allows them to do that. When they get into a five-man rotation, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how they kind of handle it. It helps having Cal Quantrell uh, opening in the bullpen. They're going to have the options with with some guys who can throw multiple innings when needed to, to kind of be flexible with this, and, and I, I think that's going to help. But I'm sure he'd love to have these these questions answered because, um, you know, it's it's just been nothing that's kind of been hanging over his head for a while in terms of durability and, and handling a full workload. And, um, you know, he'll 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 get his chance to to kind of answer that. And, and I'm sure the team is looking to kind of put him in the best chance to succeed and allow him, you know, the best chance to get through the season healthy. 
One final quick point on this pod before we head out of here. Um, we'll stick with the bullpen here quickly. Just talk, talk a little bit about the the situation with closer and what's going on there, and if anything definitive is has been decided yet. Yeah, I think for for the time being, I think it'll continue to be what Tito um, has either said or kind of what the, the just the, the message has been in that, especially early in the season between Clause, uh, Whitgren, and Karinchak. The, the focus is more on managing their workloads, making sure nobody's no one pitcher is overworked. It's really kind of more dictated by, you know, just how they've gotten through the game, matchups that are coming up, who pitched yesterday maybe, or who, who's pitched two days in a row. So for the time being, especially between those three guys, but really the entire bullpen, it's just more based on that day and, and, man, and, and managing, you know, workloads and not having it anyone, um, you know, go over a certain point. And that's what's kind of difficult sometimes when we talk about who should be a closer or who should be a high leverage guy to, to enter in the game's biggest moments is that it, that's easier said than done on paper. And especially during the regular season, because you have to manage workloads because you can't have one guy whose whose arm is dead by June. In the postseason, it's, it might be a little easier to kind of game plan and treat every game like to the optimum format. In the regular season, that's just kind of harder to do on a nightly basis because you don't want to overextend anybody. And um, so for the time being, I think that will continue to be a fluid situation. Clause has said that he wants to be be the closer. Um, you know, he, he wants that role. He views himself as that role. So you know, it's entirely possible that over time, roles could, you know, change and evolve and that he could kind of be in the ninth and Krenchak and Whitgren could be the high leverage guys early on. But for the time being, I think it'll be, it'll continue to be uh, more more of a fluid situation, and you know, any of those three guys could come in um, in, in, in really any inning. And for the time being, the team has kind of asked them to be patient and just you know, kind of kind of roll with that for a while as they work through the the early parts of the season. Well, if his cutter keeps averaging over 100 miles an hour, then Clase might get his wish eventually. Uh, all right, Ryan, this has been great. Good stuff. Um, this has been Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. Here with Ryan Lewis. He is at ByRyanLewis on Twitter. And obviously check out his stuff on Cleveland baseball on BeaconJournal.com. And until next time, see ya.